in. So make sure that you go and, and, uh, and say hi. So we are in this series. We're talking about the Ten Commandments. And, and what, we're, what we're doing is we're talking about the Ten Commandments from the perspective, not of like what they are and why you're supposed to follow them, although we talk about that, absolutely. But we're looking at this from the, the perspective of, of how they reveal God's heart and, and the why behind them. So, so the Ten Commandments, here's what they are, and it's pretty self-explanatory. It's just here, here they are. They're given to others, given to Moses by God, and then he gives it to the people, and then with it written down, and, and we have them. You can read them, and it doesn't even take long to read through them. And you're kind of like, all right, yeah, that makes sense, that makes sense, that makes sense. I'm a little confusing, but that makes sense. But what we're talking about isn't, isn't just the here's, the here's the do's and don'ts, but rather, what does this tell us, and what does this show us specifically about God's character? And what does this tell us about God's heart? Last week, we looked at the first commandment, which is you shall have no other gods before me, right? It, it kind of sets the foundation for all of them that, listen, uh, uh, right out the gate, don't have anything else that you worship or serve or that, or that you uh, like look for and look toward or no other gods that, uh, none, none before me. We looked at all of the gods that we prop up and, and the idols that we serve today and, and how it's different how, than how it was in their time, but we, we very much so create kind of idols in our lives today, right? Whether it be a career or money or possessions or success or people, we, we, we really do prop up things in our life. And, and, and here's a quote from last week to kind of just catch us up. Um, uh, here it is, Ready? I like that. Are you guys sitting down? Here we go. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you remember that from last week, that was, that was a quote from a non-Christian philosopher who, who, who talked, who realized and recognized that he wasn't even a follower of Jesus, but recognized everybody worships. Everybody worships. You don't have a choice not to worship. You get to choose what you worship. And we talked about how the first commandment is the, is the Lord saying, listen, the, the only thing, the only thing that you can worship that will fulfill you and actually, and actually benefit you in your life, the, the thing that won't destroy you is me. So don't have any other gods before me. Okay, this brings us to commandment two. Commandment two relates very closely with commandment one, but it goes even more nuanced. And listen, uh, this is gonna challenge, I, I think some of you are gonna be upset today. Not at me, hopefully. Maybe you will. But I think because of what it says and maybe, maybe how it reframes kind of your thinking about maybe even some common practices that we do. So the second commandment that we're looking at today is this. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Last week, don't have any other gods before me. This week, so now uh, commandment two, don't make for yourself specifically now an idol. The, the Ten Commandments, you remember this from last week, are the beginning of Hebrew society. They're, they're, they've been released out of Egypt. Moses has taken them out. They've defeated Pharaoh and his armies. God has done all the work. And now here they are, and they're at the base of Mount Sinai. They've been here for a few months, and now they finally get these commandments, sort of the, the rules to society now. 
We see this, that idol worship was rampant among the nations surrounding Israel, and, and they, would, they had carved images in which they bowed down to, and they sacrificed to, and they worshiped. So this was a common practice that they would have seen and known, and this was sort of like how the world did things, right? Every, every culture, every society, every nation had their own gods, their own versions of gods. Maybe it was the same God with a different name, and, and, and they had images, and they had statues, and they had all kinds of things. So... When Yahweh decides to start a new nation, a new people, and give Israel their own nation that, with their own laws and their own ways to rule, he says, you're not gonna do any of that stuff. You're not gonna be like any of the other nations around you. It's gonna be different. You're not gonna worship like they do. Your experience of me will not be like their experience of their gods. Okay, here's what it says now. Commandment number two in Exodus Chapter 20, verse four, it says this. You shall not make for yourself an image. In the Hebrew, it literally means a, a graven or carved image. You not, shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, here's what he says, am a jealous God. And this might make us uncomfortable. Here we go, ready? Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Did you know that was in the Ten Commandments? Here it is. But he says, verse six, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Commandment number two is a, is a, is a long one. And, it, and, and it's God getting specific, and it almost feels like, like this is too specific, and, and it feels, listen, if we're honest, if we're honest, at first reading, it's, it feels a little petty. Really, Lord? And you're, hold on. Literally in the commandment, you tell us that you're jealous? That, like, only insecure people are jealous, right? Any of you jealous? Yeah. And we're jealous over the things that, that, that we're, we doubt or we don't think are true or, or, or we, maybe we, we're jealous over how um, other people are treated or we don't wanna be left behind. So we get jealous of anything that we think will steal someone or something from us. And we know that feeling. We know that feeling. So when God says, hey, I am a jealous God, you go, oh, you, really? That's part of you? Jealousy? Really? It's not what we would expect, but, but when we think of, when we think of the, the relationship that he's creating with his people in a different term, in a different way, in a different light, this makes sense. In fact, in fact, we would expect God to be jealous because what God is doing is he's not setting up, hey, I'm in charge and you're all my servants. Here's what he's setting up, ready? He's setting up a covenant relationship with them. Many of you entered into a covenant relationship with someone as well. We call it marriage, where you said, I am committing to you and you are committing to me. And now listen, true love, if you really do love someone, then anything or anyone else that would try to steal them from you should bring about a sense of jealousy that no, 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 no. You said yes to me, not to someone else, not to other things. 
In fact, a good, holy, wholesome marriage should be pursuing relationship with each other to the exclusion of everyone else. So when you see the Lord say this, and he's setting up a, a, a covenant relationship, a, honestly, a marriage-type relationship with him and his people, when they, listen, when they do start to love other things or leave him, you could see why he would and should be jealous to say, who's taking you from me? Who would dare take you from me? And why are you listening? I'm jealous for you. I want and I love you don't leave me for something that is far less superior. Ooh. He puts it in a commandment and he says, listen, here's what happens. I am jealous and we expect that from God. What we can see then, if we look at his relationship with his people like a marriage relationship, then this is why idolatry is such a big deal because idolatry is adultery. Idolatry is spiritual adultery, cheating on God with someone or something else. Oh, that's a big deal. That's why God reacts so strongly to idolatry because it is now that I'm going to leave my relationship with you, Lord, for someone or something else. And it might even be a carved image. And he says, what are you doing? God is jealous and he should be jealous. And then it says this, he punishes people who continue to hate him for generations. What we could talk about is generational sin. And, and listen, I, we can spend some time going into this, but you, you know this to be true, that many, many of the sins of the parents happen to make their way to the, to, to the children. And, and what do you know? They repeat the same cycle, the same lifestyle as mom and dad. And they raise their kids to do the same because that's all they know. That's exactly what he's talking about. People who leave him and, 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 and worship other idols and then they have children and teach their children to do the same and then they teach their children to do the same. He's like, man, uh, listen, I, I'm, for those who continue to hate me, they're gonna be opposed to me and I'm gonna be opposed to them for generations. Until that cycle is broken, this is going to be what happens. And idolatry is one of those things that gets passed down because idolatry speaks to values. It speaks to the values of the parents. If the parents pursue more than all else, wealth and success, get what the, guess, guess, just take a guess at what the kids are gonna grow up thinking their priorities are. In fact, they will probably live their life wanting to impress and make mom or especially dad proud by living his values. And if those values are off, if those values are not on the Lord, then, then the kids' values We'll do the same until that cycle is broken. So we see in this, literally in the second commandment, God says, listen, this is one of the things that's gonna be passed down from generation to generation. And then he goes on to say, but, but I will show love to thousands, not to three or four, thousands of generations. Thousands of generations is thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Like the, like the earth hasn't even been, like a thousand generations, we don't even have records of people for a thousand generations yet. And he says, I'm not done showing love. I'll continue to show love for a thousand, a thousand generations. His love far out, outshadows his, his, uh, his, the, the punishment and the opposition he has, but man, that is still strong to those 
who would worship idols and those who says, those who continue to hate me, I will be opposed to. But those who love me and keep my commandments for a thousand generations, I will continue to love them. Now let's talk about this, okay? This is, I think, gonna challenge you because it challenges me. And I, as much as I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. And I've, I've actually, of all of the commandments, this one I've had to kind of, evolve is not a word you like to say in church, but I have. I think my views have evolved from where they were to where they are now, and it comes through experience and observation and seeing what happens when we don't follow specifically God's commands. Here's the thing, ready? What we're told, commandment number two, is that any image of God is insufficient. Now listen, when he says anything, guess what he means? Don't make for yourself an image, okay, of anything. Okay, but you don't mean anything. Of anything in heaven above or the earth below or the waters below the earth. Don't make for yourself an image of anything that exists in this world. But you don't mean anything. He seems to say anything. Now, it's easy for us to say, well, yeah, of course, we're not going to make like a figurine and bow down to it. Of course, of course, we're not going to do that. But let's, let's just read the scriptures and see what this might possibly also include. And, and, and listen, when you get uncomfortable and upset, don't get mad at me. I didn't write this commandment, but I do take it very seriously. Let's, let's look at what it says. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah writes this in verse 18. With whom then will you compare God? He's asking these rhetorical questions. To what image will you liken him? And then he goes on to say that, that woodworkers make wood idols and that metal workers put metal on them, but all of them, like none of them actually last. They try to make them so that they don't rot, but he goes, this is what he's saying. Which one, which possible image can adequately and effectively represent God? Which image accurately represents who God is? And the rhetorical question, that the, like the answer we expect to get is, there isn't one. There isn't an image or an item or a figure or a shape of any kind that can accurately and adequately represent who God is. J.I. Packer, he's the one who, who got me years and years ago. I read, I read his, his seminal work, Knowing God. He's since passed away and was a, a, one of the more influential voices in my life. Him and, an, and another guy, Tim Keller, I've mentioned before, who, who actually just passed away two days ago. Uh, I don't know if you know that. That was a rough day for me, for many people. But um, J.I. Packer's one of those guys, and he wrote in Knowing God, he writes this, okay? How often do we hear this sort of thing? I like to think of God as a great architect or mathematician or artist. I don't think of God as a judge. I like to think of him simply as a father. Here's what he's saying, and this is our experience, both maybe with ourselves and other people. You know, what, when I think of God, I think of him as, um, as a, just a really nice dad who welcomes people. Oh, I think of him as a great spirit who is, uh, you know, is all in nature. Oh, I think, when I think of God, um, I think of him as a beautiful artist. 
He's, he's referencing now, all right, when we think of God, we have different ideas that we, that we ascribe to him. He continues, we know from experience how often remarks of this kind serve as a, as a prelude to a denial of something that the Bible tells us about God. It needs to be said with the, that with the greatest possible emphasis that, the, listen, that those who hold themselves free to think of God as they like are breaking the second commandment. At best, they can only think of God in, an image, in the image of a man, as an ideal man, perhaps, or a superman, he says. <laughs> Here's what he says. Anyone, anyone who starts to do this usually thinks of God how they want to, to deny a part of God that they don't want to. I like to think of him as such and such. And because he's, listen, God is love. And he is, absolutely. And because God is love, therefore, I don't think of him as a judge or anyone that will ever cause harm or punishment or discipline because God is love. And you're, you're going, wow, that sounds wonderful. Except you used it as an excuse to deny an entire character of him, an entire aspect of him. As a loving father who punishes, you don't like that? So we, we recreate him in a new image. You see what he's saying here? We recreate God in an image we like so that we can deny the part of him we don't like. Here's what he goes on to say. But God is not any sort of man. We are made in his image. Absolutely true. And then he says this. But we must not think of him as existing in ours. We're made in God's image, but what we do we like to alter or tweak or, or think of God in an image that we want to. You see the difference? This is why he says those who do this are breaking the second commandment because you've created an image now of God that isn't entirely accurate. You've, you've made him in your own image, the image you want him to exist in. Ooh. Here's what he goes on to say. Images, okay, we're gonna, it's, gonna, it's gonna get worse. If, if you're already uncomfortable, this is just the beginning. Images, he says, dishonor God by obscuring his glory. Any kind of image diminishes God because it limits who he is and what he can do and it limits the amount of, of glory and honor due to him because now we're just saying he's like this or he's like this or when I think of him, I put him in this box or in this box. And then he goes on to say, images mislead us by conveying false ideas about him. Any image we create now creates one that is not accurate of who he is because there is no image that can accurately and adequately describe who God is. All right, here we go. Ready? Here we go. Okay. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter four. Moses is gonna write specifically now about the time that he got the 10 commandments. Now we're fast forwarding uh, past where, uh, where we are in Exodus and we're moving to, now he's gonna kind of speak to the people about what that time was like. He's like, remember back when, when, you, when we got the, the 10 commandments, remember what that was like? Okay, so here it is, ready? Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 11. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, Mount Sinai, while it blazed with the fire to the heaven, to the very heavens, with black clouds and, and deep darkness. All right, so that already is creating a scene. This is a different kind of mountain. Verse 12, then 
the Lord, there it is all caps again, Yahweh, his name, then Yahweh spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sounds of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the 10 commandments, which, which he commanded you to follow and then wrote them on two tablets. He's like giving a whole history lesson. Do you guys remember what happened? They're like, of course we remember. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you to the decrees and the laws that you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. All right. He told me, he gave us the 10 commandments and then he gave me the law and said, this is what your people are supposed to follow. And it's my job to teach all of you as we go into the, like cross the Jordan into the promised land. Like this is the, do you guys remember this? Of course we remember. Yeah, that was kind of hard to forget. Great. Verse 15, he says this, you saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. You didn't see an image of any kind. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or like any animal on earth or bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves on the ground or any fish in the waters below. He's almost like, almost, almost parroting word for word this commandment. Here's what he says, ready? These images are not for all the other like false God worshipers. He says, you don't dare make an image of God himself because when he spoke to you, he didn't have an image. Do you remember? Remember? He didn't show up in any kind of form. What you got was a voice. Here's what you got. Ready? You ready? Okay, you sitting down. Here's what you got. You got his word. You got his word. Not an image of him. What you got was him speaking. So don't go make for yourselves items or images or any kind of, of uh, engraven uh, like objects of any kind. Do you remember what happens right when Moses comes down from the, from the mountain? Do you remember this? Do you remember this story, right? I mean, it's, it's almost like, it's almost so ironic, right? Like, like uh, what, is the, what is the expression? Reality is, uh, is crazier than actual like story. Something like that, right? The truth is weirder than fiction, stranger than fiction. I butchered it. I will get it right for next service, I promise. <laughs> when he comes down from the mountain in which God is saying, don't have any other gods before me and don't make for yourself any idols, he comes down to give the people, I, got, I spoke from the Lord, I heard from the Lord and I'm speaking it to you. And he sees them and they've made a bull. They made a bull out of gold. Remember, they collect everyone's gold and Aaron, the brother of, Jesus, uh, of Moses is like, hey, He's been gone a long time. We need something to worship, all right? What can we, what can we make to honor the Lord? And they make a bull. And Moses gets upset, right? And, and like, there's a whole story and you kind of see the temper of Moses show up and you're like, but at the same time, he's going, what are you doing? It's almost like, it's almost like the older brother getting home to the younger kids, like made a mess of the house and you know, dad's on his way home. Dad's coming. And he goes, what have you done? What have you done? I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna go speak. He says, I'm gonna go speak to the Lord and hope and hope that he will have grace on you, but you guys messed up. You messed up, and dad is on his way. <laughs> he, he sees this, and he's like, before I even give you the commandments, you're already breaking them. He says, don't, so Deuteronomy, don't make any image of any kind. God doesn't give an image to his people of any kind. He gives them his word. J.I. Packer, he continues to write this. The point is clear. God did not show them a visible symbol of himself, but spoke to them 
Therefore, here it is, ready? Here we go. Therefore, they are now not now to seek visible symbols of God, but simply to obey his word. Now listen, I'm going to guess a number of us are guilty of this thing. Because we don't worship bulls and goats and, and, uh, and birds or cre- things that creep along the earth or fish under the sea. But we certainly do have symbols that we fight for and we fight over. When I went to Israel, which we're going to go this next year, by the way, uh, when you go to Israel, you see this firsthand. You see people literally bowing down in front of some cathedral or church of some kind, and there's an image, there's a cross. And maybe Jesus is on it, maybe it's not. If it's a Catholic one, there's Jesus on the cross. And they're not praying, they're not just praying. They are bowing down, wanting a blessing from this image, from this thing. When you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the first thing you do is you walk in, and there's these granite stones on the ground, and they're said to be the stones that Jesus was laid upon when he was taken off the cross. Um, they're dated much later, so it's, it's, it's physically impossible that these are the ones, but it doesn't matter. People believe it. And you, listen, it's, it's, almost like, it's almost shocking to your core to see people laying on it, kissing the stones, putting items that they bought to have a blessing from this stone. Man, do we do this today? Oh, absolutely. Okay, um, here we go. Ready? I debated if I bring this up or not, but here we go. Okay, he, he, we got one ready for it. <laughs> I love the cross. Without the cross, we don't have a faith. We don't have forgiveness. But I have seen churches fight over a physical cross's position in the church. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are we, do, we, do we confer some sort of holiness to this physical item? And we say we don't, but, but there are times where we, where we can actually think that that cross is somehow a representation of Jesus. Listen, listen. This, is, this, is cha- this challenges me, and I still am uncomfortable with it, but I, I read this and I say, God seems to be saying, don't make an image of anything that you bow down and worship to. Now, we have a cross, and we're not taking it down, right? Because it's an, it's an image of our faith, and, it, and it's a symbol of, 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 of like the power of Jesus to conquer death. But I hope none of you ever bow down to that cross and worship that thing as though that is a, a representation of Jesus. It's not at all, right? Do you see the difference? And do you, see, do you see the temptation that people get to? And do you see how we could easily do this in a church where all of a sudden the stuff that we've made and we do so to honor God and we do it in God's name, that can actually be the things that we prop up. And he says, don't make an image of anything, whether it be in heaven or on the earth beneath or on the sea below. Don't make an image. What we see here, what we see in Deuteronomy is Moses telling, hey, listen, do you remember when, you, when, when God spoke to you? Do you remember? Yeah, there was no image of any kind, but you heard his word. So you don't worship any image of God, but you listen for his word. You let, listen, you let God describe himself to you 
without making him in the image you want him. And what do you know? What do you know? We have something literally called the word that tells us everything we need to know about God. As much as we want to think about or worship God how we want or, or make an image of him, how, how we're comfortable with, what we do is we read this and we say, it honestly, it honestly, again, oh, all right, here we go. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what you think God is like. Listen, I don't care what you think God is like. I want to know what he tells me he's like. Do you see the difference? I talk to people all the time and they'll tell me, you know, God is like this or I think of God like this. I remember watching a video of another church, another Christian church, I won't name them, but one of the people on stage said, I think, when I think of the Holy Spirit, I think of him kind of as a, as a genie. And I'm going, what did you just do? What? First of all, that's the thing you picked. But, but, but you, just, you just now, you just now define God as something he's never said he's like. Whoa, be careful. You are awfully close to making an image of him. Ooh, okay. So what about paintings of Jesus or churches or crosses or altars? I'm telling you, if you go to Israel, you come with us next year, you will see this and it will affect you. It will affect you. Because everywhere you go in this holy land, you see idolatry and you see people bowing down to stuff made in the image of what they wanted. And it's shocking. It's alarming. As much as we think, oh, idol worship, that's like way back then. Oh, no, it is alive and well. Very much so. All right. Seems to be a lot of, a lot of breaking of the second commandment. And God does this because he's saying, I want you, I want you to rely on me and what I tell you about me, not, not what you want me to be like. We are really good at defining God how we want him. So what do we do? What does true worship look like? What does true worship look like? Because it's not bowing down to images or items made to represent him. What does it look like? Here it is, ready? True worship of God doesn't rely on images. It relies on truth. It has to rely on truth. We worship God as an infinite, transcendent being far greater than any image we could ever create or imagine. And Jesus talked about cultivating this deep relationship and how you worship God a very specific way. He has an encounter with a lady and, and she's talking about when, you know, when, when Messiah comes, he'll show us how to worship. He'll tell us what we're supposed to do and, and how we should worship like God. And then here's what Jesus says, John chapter four. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father, he says, in the spirit and in truth. For they are not the kind of worshiper, that, these are the kind of the worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. We focus on the character and the nature of God rather than relying on visual aids. Listen, this, 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 again, this should make us feel a little uncomfortable because we are a visual kind of people. We are very visual. And I know you're visual because we get cards telling us you didn't like the light colors today. 
or the screen color. And listen, and I actually, I get it. I understand if it's like uncomfortable, but, but we, I've already said three things that should make you want to leave this church. Here's another one. <laughs> listen, your worship of the Lord should not depend. It should not, listen, okay? I'm gonna get some flack for this, but I believe it wholeheartedly. It should not depend on whether or not we sang your favorite song. It should not depend on what the stage looks like or the setting. When we're talking about worshiping, the, the mood we set is to help us engage in worship, but it's not about like, I didn't like that image. Listen, I, I, this is so hard because some of us, I know this, and I don't, I wanna be careful here. Some of you have paintings of Jesus in your house, great. And maybe you're thinking, what do I do? What do I do? Am I breaking the second commandment? Yes, you are. No, I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't think you are. I don't think you are. But listen, I can tell you this. I can tell you this. Every painting of Jesus that has ever been painted is not at all accurate. It's not what he looked like. So it's really easy to create an image of Jesus based on the, the, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, really tall, really fair-skinned, really nice-looking Jesus. And when you meet Jesus in heaven, you're like, wait, you're the real Jesus? That's you? You don't look at all like the pictures. He's like, oh, yeah, okay, that, that's correct. There are so many things, so many images we put in our head of what we think Jesus is like or, or what we want him to be like. And, and what we're doing is we're creating an image and this image is not based on spirit and truth. It's based on an, art, an artist's rendition or some sort of, and, and so listen, we can have artwork. We have, I have artwork and we have stuff in our house and, and it's all like symbols about our faith and it's, it's great, it's good. We don't bow down and worship it, but if we're not careful, we can tend to think of Jesus made in our image. What do you know? What do you know? Jesus usually is the same nationality of the, of the person worshiping him. That's what we want him to be. He's just like me, so he's, he's, he's got my color skin. Whatever it is. He tells us people will worship the spirit in spirit and in truth. And what you call him matters. People will say it doesn't matter. Hey, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter as long as you're worshiping God. To which my response is, whatever, whoever you are, my, my name's Brandon. If you're gonna have a relationship with me and you decide to call me whatever name you want, you don't really know me. If every time you see me, you're like, hey, David, I'm like, that's not my name. Uh, what does it matter who I, what I call you, right? Let's just go get lunch. Kind of matters to me. <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of core to who I am, right? And the next time we meet, you're like, you know what? You don't look like a David. You look like a Jim. Okay, Jim's a perfectly fine name. If your name's Jim, that's great. That's not me. When we decide we're gonna make God in our image and call him what we want, he says, you don't get to do that. That's not my name. That's not what I'm like. What, what does it matter as long as we worship you? Here's what we see. Who you worship matters and how you worship matters. Who you worship matters. And he says, worship me, not some idols you made. And how you worship matters. Don't worship with images. Worship in spirit and in truth. This is important to me because it needs to be accurate to who I am. You see why now the second commandment is kind of a big deal. One that we just kind of gloss over and say, I don't have any, I've never made a carved, a graven image. It's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. Here's what we see too, that true worship, not just 
Not only does it not rely on images and rely on the truth, but true worship of God is not found in a setting, it's a lifestyle. Listen, you don't worship God for just three songs at the beginning of service and then you go about your week. We often call that worship. And it's good to call that worship because we are seeing worship to the Lord. But don't think, don't think for the 20 minutes on a Sunday you're seeing, you're worshiping, and then the rest of your life you get to kind of just do what you want. And that's not considered worship. Is that the kind of worship God wants? He's like, all right, all right, guys. For 20 minutes, sing your little hearts out and worship me. Wait for the right song. And then, and then, once you find a song you like, then belt it out. That's the kind of worship I want. I, I, listen, I've read the Bible a number of times. I don't see that verse. <laughs> Here's what I see. Ready? Romans chapter 12. This then is worship. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. Why? This is your true and proper worship. It's not singing. We sing as an expression of joy, but that's not worship. Worship is so much more than that. And what Paul says is, listen, here's what proper worship, you wanna know worship in spirit and in truth? Here's what it looks like, ready? It's your lifestyle. It's how you live and what you do. He says, here's what it looks like. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, ready? Here's what it looks like. You gotta be a walking dead person. What? The walking dead? Yes, that's what he's saying. Die to yourself, offer your life as a sacrifice to God and say, do with me whatever you will. My life is no longer mine, it's yours. And he says, all right, ooh, you're getting awfully close to worship. You're getting awfully close to exactly where you should be. Offer yourself, your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And here it goes, ready? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Worship seems to start in the mind. The same place where we make images. And he says, don't do it. Don't make images. Instead, let your mind be transformed to worship God how he should be worshiped. Then, when you do this, when you offer your body as a living sacrifice, when you allow your mind to be transformed by renewing it, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You wanna know what God's will is? Here's how you know, ready? You gotta start worshiping with your life and you gotta allow him to transform your mind and then, and then, ooh, you might actually understand what he wants. What we want is just, God, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And he says, okay, here's what I want. I want you to be transformed and I want you to die to yourself. Okay, that's really hard. Can you just tell me what job I should take next? That's not how this works. 2 Corinthians chapter three, we'll end with this. Now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And he says this, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, and here it is, ready? And, and are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Here's the point of this whole thing, Ready? If you're gonna walk away with one thing, with one like sentence you wrote down, one thing you remember, it's this. Don't worship any image of God. Be transformed into the image of God. If we're gonna talk about God's image, 
It's not about thinking of how I can think best of him, what I can do to create a representation of how I see him. I think he's like this. I think he's like that. And then we're just debating about the images we've created. Instead, instead, what we do, what we should do is seek to say, I want to become more like your image. Transform me into your image with, with like Paul says, ever increasing glory. I want to become more and more like you. Ooh, careful. Starting to sound like real true worship now. More than just singing songs, we're saying, I want to reflect who God is. That seems to be worshiping now in spirit and in truth. Not about images or debating on styles or I like to sing this kind of way or with this style or in this image or with this. Listen, we can get so bogged down in the, like, the details of how we do this that we actually fail to allow God to transform our mind and worship him for who he is. Don't worship any image of God. Any image of God. Do not do it but instead be transformed into the image of God. Would you do this? Would you stand with me? And then we're gonna, we're gonna sing worship, but we're not gonna end our worship. You're going to continue to worship, ready? For the rest of your week. And some of you will be really good at it. And others of you will walk out of this building and you will forget completely that you're still worshiping. <laughs> will you pray with me? So Lord, We thank you that as the heavens are high above the earth, so are your ways higher than our ways and your thoughts higher than our thoughts. And that you, you, in your great wisdom and authority, you gave us a commandment that, that speaks to the heart of how we interact with you. That we aren't to worship with any kind of images or engraven idols of any kind but instead to worship in spirit and in truth. And, and worship, true worship, doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings. It's with our lives. So help us, transform us by the renewing of our mind to worship you in spirit and in truth with all that we are. We pray this in Jesus' name.